Amen. Lord, that is so true that the debt that we owe you cannot even be measured, Lord, and, and we just thank you for that love and that mercy, your infinite grace that you've poured out upon us. Father, may we never take it lightly, may we never take it for granted, and Lord, may we exhibit that same grace towards others that you've poured out on us. Father, as we go to your word right now, may you be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. Lord, I pray that you would be our teacher, not man. Less of man, more of you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Grab your Bibles. You're going to need them. Turn, turn to Joshua 22, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Uh, Pastor Bill mentioned this Sunday, uh, Cy Rogers. Now, I just want to tell you right up front, this is going to be nothing like anything you've ever seen in your life. That's just a fact. But three different pastors, I think I mentioned this on Sunday, that I respect a great deal, all told me the same thing. You've got to have this guy. And you know that I don't bring a lot of speakers in. We just don't do that. We just teach the Bible around here. Amen? But I want to encourage you that... Uh, Jack Hibbs, who pastors a church, I don't know, about 20,000 people, said the most sold CD by far is when this guy came to his church. And he said he was out in the foyer between services, and people were all on their cell phones calling people saying, whatever you're doing, you've got to stop what you're doing and get to Calvary Chapel right now, because this guy's going to be speaking again in 15 minutes. And so I want to encourage you. It's going to, again, it'll be unlike anything you've ever seen before, but it'll be something that we all need to hear. I'm looking forward to it. All right? Okay, Joshua 22. For those of you who take notes, I titled the message, Avoiding Altercations. And you'll see why in a minute. Avoiding Altercations. And as we've been looking through the book of Joshua and the Spirit-filled life, we know that that's a picture, again, a type of you and I walking in the center of God's will. That God's desire is that we would go beyond simply being saved and having to get out a hell-free card and you know, just being a little bit different than the world. But God desires that you and I would walk in the center of His will. That He would use our lives for His kingdom. Now, the thing that happens when we're walking in that Spirit-filled life are, are typified by what happened with the children of Israel. Because as soon as they got into the land of Canaan, what happened immediately? Attacks. Right? They had to face great and mighty enemies. And as you and I are walking with the Lord and walking in the center of His will, we're going to face great attacks. Now, The attacks thus far have come from the outside, from the giants in the land, from the foreign armies, from the mighty and great fortresses that were there. But you know what? There's two places and two ways the enemy attacks us. It's from the outside, but it's also from the inside. It's from the world, but it's also from within the body of Christ. It's also that that us as brothers and sisters in the Lord need to be careful that we not pit brother against brother, that we not blow our testimony to the world, that we would not be rendered ineffective because we're bickering and fighting with each other and we ought to be reaching out to the world. So, so far what we've seen is that the, they're being attacked on the outside. In tonight's chapter, the focal point of the attack is going to come from within. There's going to be misunderstanding and varying degrees of spiritual maturity and commitment are going to become potential sources for division among the children of Israel. And we're going to see that they are susceptible to the pitfalls that can produce division within the body. That even the most spiritually mature believer can fall into these traps. And we're going to see it tonight because we're going to see four potential traps that we can fall into to bring about division. And then we're going to see 
four areas of carnality or signs or marks of someone who's walking in carnality before God. And we'll see that typified in two of the different groups. Now, we're almost to the text. But we need to guard ourselves and use spiritual discernment to keep and wait till we know all the facts before we respond. Too often we want to jump immediately and we want to jump out and we're going to see that happen in tonight's text. And when it comes especially to an accusation against another brother, we need to be careful. In tonight's text, we're going to see two major areas of struggle that not only the children of Israel struggle with, but that you and I struggle with today, and it's what I just mentioned. So if you're taking notes, avoiding altercations, we're going to see four potential pitfalls of division in the body, four things that can cause us to be divided within the body of Christ, and then we're going to see four marks of carnality. Do you want to know if you're a carnal Christian? Listen tonight. Okay? Because you're going to see the marks of someone who's walking in carnality. And we'll talk about that when we get to it, okay? So we're going to see that there have always been varying levels of spiritual maturity among believers. There have always been those that are more on fire for God and those who are not. There will be those who, again, are more spiritually mature. And how should they respond to those who are less mature? As well as how, how do we expect that those who are not walking with God to respond to us. God's desire that we as a body edify, exhort, and encourage one another in love, and that we be unified in Christ. So, tonight we're going to see that the children of Israel were called by God to be one people, right? They're called to be one people. Just as you and I today and all of the body of Christ is called to be one church. We meet in different places. We have different names out in front of the building. We may vary on some of the secondary issues, but we're called to be one church. And I believe it grieves the heart of God, the division that's within the body of Christ today. Should not be so. Amen? Instead of fighting over trying to get someone to come to our church, let's get them to join the church. Amen? Get them to know Jesus Christ. That's what it's really all about. Now, we also know while there was only one church, one tribe or one people, there were 12 tribes, that they were divided by God so they could be spread out to reach all of the people throughout the land. If you have the map, I don't know if they told you to do that tonight or not. If they didn't, it's okay. But if we have the map available, you'll see that in in Israel, there it is, there are 12 tribes and they were divided by God. So this was God's division that put them within the land of promise to cover all of it. And again, the Levites were spread out as well so that all the people might be ministered to. Now at the same time, Part of the division was made by God, but another part of the division was made by man because the tribes that are, see the Jordan goes right down the middle. The tribes on this side, half of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben were all tribes that were outside of God's will. They decided it was better to stay where it was more comfortable. It was better to not have to go in to fight the enemy. It was better where the battle had already been won, maybe in our terms, better where the price of real estate was cheaper and the job was better and things were easier instead of pushing on with the kingdom of God. And we're going to see the conflict's going to continue between those within the land of promise and those without. Those within the land of promise, they're all followers of God. They're all children of Israel, but nine and a half tribes are walking in the center of God's will, have gone into the land of promise, and two and a half tribes are walking in carnality. They're more concerned with their own personal comfort than being in the center of God's will. And we're going to see the conflict that comes, and there's going to be fault on both sides. So again, verses, we're going to see three portions. We're going to see again the eastern tribes returning to their land. Then we're going to see the eastern tribes build an altar and the potential pitfalls of division that come from it. 
Then we're going to see them respond to the concerns that the congregation is going to have about them building an altar. And we'll, then we'll see the four marks, mark, marks of carnality. So if you don't remember anything else tonight, I want you to remember the four marks of potential division within the body and the four marks of carnality. The things that can divide us and the things that show us where our heart really is, we're going to see that in tonight's text. So let's begin in verse 1 of avoiding altercations, beginning by looking at the eastern tribes returning to their land outside of Canaan. Again, it'll be a picture of those borderline believers, of those lukewarm Christians, of those living in carnality. Let's read verses 1 through 3. Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not left your brethren these days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. Now the eastern tribes had chose to settle outside of the land of promise as you see up on this map. But remember that Moses commanded them, okay, if you want the land, if you want to settle for less than God's highest, you can do that. You know, God's never going to force you to walk in the center of His will. Did you know that? He's never going to do that. He wants you to respond by faith. He wants you to do it out of love for Him, not because He's got you know, a lightning bolt stuck in your back that's prodding you every time you step out of line. He wants you to do it out of love, not out of legalism. And so he's not going to force it upon you. And same true, is true here. Moses said, okay, if you guys want to settle out there, you can. It's not God's highest. It's God's permissive will, not His perfect will. But if you want to be out there, you can. But you're still going to have to go in and fight the battles with us. The point being this. You may settle for less than God's highest, but guess what? You're still going to face the difficulties of life. Sometimes we think, oh man, it's only those guys who are really on fire for God that are going to face trials. No, you're going to face them too. You're just going to face them without having a life that's less fruitful for God. If we're going to go through trials, let's bring them on in the center of God's will. Amen? Let's do it walking with the Lord, not apart from Him. I want to, if I'm going to go through a trial, I want God with me in it. Amen? I want to be walking with Him. When I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I want to be hanging on to Him tightly. But sadly, there were those who, again, this two and a half tribes, they looked at things from a physical perspective rather than a spiritual one. And it's a type or a picture of the carnality of those who are trying to live in the world. There are borderline believers all around us, you guys. Don't want to get too involved. Life's too complicated right now. I can't tell you how many times I hear this. Man, I'd love to serve God completely, but you just don't understand what my life's like right now. Just too busy. You know, we have too many family obligations right now. We just had a baby, or we have two small kids. We, as soon as my kids get into school, well, as soon as they get into high school, well, as soon as they graduate, well, as soon as we get them through college, well, as soon as the grandkids get into school, well, as, as soon as I retire from my job, as soon as I die, you know what I mean? And all the way along... We keep waiting to be used by God. We get so wrapped up in the things of this world, we're just too obligated that we become these borderline Christians on the outside looking in, missing out on God's highest, and we can do it for a lifetime. And the sad part is that we can be like them and say, this is a good place for us because it's comfortable here. They looked out and saw it would be good for their animals, good for their stock. For us, our stocks and bonds maybe, I don't know. But this is a good place for us. It's so comfortable. It's all about what I want to invest in. It's all about what you want to invest in. 
When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. You can invest in the world, it will return you nothing in the end. It might help you get some temporal stuff for here and now, give you a little more physical comfort, but in the long run, it will be meaningless in eternity. Man, and I know that some people struggle when you're not direct about it, but the truth is that, guys, we're here for one reason, that's to know Christ and to make Him known. That's it. Why do you live and breathe? To know Christ and to make Him known. To have intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe and be on fire for Him and be contagious to the world around you. And so often we act like that part of our life is an inconvenience. I'd love to come to church on Sunday, but it's kind of raining and that means the parking lot will be muddy and it'll probably be cold inside, so I can't come. I'd like to share my faith with my neighbor, but they might ask you a question, so I, you know, it's just easier to watch football and eat chips and forget about it, Right? It's so much easier to camp outside of God's highest and do less than what God wants us to do and the enemy will make it as comfortable for you there as he possibly can. But the truth is that it's always, it's never easy to serve God, but it's always worth it. Amen? Amen. Always worth it. Nobody's going to be in heaven regretting being sold out for God. So God allowed them in in that area, the permissive will outside of the land. And it says in verse 3, They left your brethren these many days. Now, they were with them for seven years fighting. So that means that even when we walk in carnality, there are are moments and times of obedience in our walk with God. Right? Hey, as Christians, aren't there times you're on fire, you're serving God with your whole heart, and then there's other times you're really struggling? That's everybody in here. Amen? And the truth is that even those who are borderline lukewarm, there are times where there's fire, there's times when we're an example to the world, and there's times when we just cool off and get comfortable and walk away from the Lord. And what he's talking about here is for seven years they've been in the battle, they've been faithful, they've been fighting it, now the time is up. Now this is going to amaze me because their time is up and they're going to go back to the land outside of the land of promise. They've tasted of what God has, they've seen him wipe out the enemy, they've seen the land flowing with milk and honey on the inside, they've tasted of the things of God, and now they want to go back to the ways of the world outside of God's highest. This is much like the children of Israel who wanted to go back to Egypt, right? We want to go back to the world, we want to go back to our old ways, when instead we ought to be staying desperate for him. They still had to enter the battle, and for seven years they did. It says in Numbers, Moses said, If you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for war, all your armed men, and you cross over the Jordan before the Lord, until he has driven the enemies out from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return blameless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. Now when he says blameless, what he means is, I'll allow you to do it, I won't hold it against you, but you're still missing out on God's highest. Guys, I don't, I don't believe necessarily that we're going to get to heaven and God's going to hold it against us that maybe you were really called to do this and you didn't do it. You know what's going to happen? You're just going to miss out on the fruitfulness and the blessing of all that would have taken place if you just obeyed God. I know that one of my deepest prayers is, Lord, let me not miss it. Lord, I don't want to be on the outskirts of what you have for me or for the body at Calvary Santa Cruz. Though not walking in God's perfect will, those outside God's highest will again have times of faithfulness when God will use them. Look at verse 4. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents 
and to the land of possession which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. So in the end, they returned back to the place that they pursued and valued the most, the place of worldly comfort. You know what? It may be okay, but it won't satisfy for long. It may be okay to be in that place for a while. You know what? And again, I didn't mean to tear us, but you know what? Some of you, many of you know my personal testimony. I'm a PK. I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up in a Christian home. And you know what? I was always, most of my friends and pretty much everybody I went to school with knew I was a Christian. But like anybody, I had other things that I made priorities in my life at different times. In college school and college, it was football. I was all about it. That was my passion. I was working out six days a week and drinking protein shakes and running hills and trying to gain weight and feeling sorry for the guy that had to line up across from me on Saturday night, right? And you know, that was just my thing, right? And God got rid of that. And then I got married and I got a job and God had blessed me with ability in sales. And you know, I went out and I broke every sales record. I set high goals for myself. And in my early 20s, I was making a, just a ton of money. And we had a big house and everything you could possibly want. And I'm driving home from work, my 72-mile commute each way. And I pull off on the side of the road after just being announced as the number one rep in the, in, the, in the United States for the company I was working for again. And everybody patting me on the back. And I pull off on the side of the road and I start weeping. And I say, God, there's got to be more than this. Now, again, I'm Christian. Everybody knew I was a Christian. I shared my faith. A couple people at work called me preacher boy, and that's okay. But I never thought I'd be a pastor. But I said, God, there's got to be more. Maybe that's some of you tonight. You know, you're, you're, you love the Lord. You know, I was doing the setup ministry, and I was working in the nursery, and I really had a heart to give. So I felt like I had a gift of giving, the, you know, serving and setting up chairs, working in the nursery, and being a Christian businessman. I thought that's what I was going to be the rest of my life. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what God's called you to be. But that was not what God had called me to be. And he started stirring up my heart till I couldn't take it anymore. I was losing sleep at night. I went home and told my wife, babe, there's something more. I don't know what it is, but there's something more. I went on Sunday and the pastor said, hey, by the way, if you're here today and you feel like there's something more God wants to do with you, <laughs> my wife called you, right? And... He said, I'm starting a discipleship class on Sunday afternoons. And I turned to my wife and said, babe, that's me. I'm supposed to go to that. Third week there, he asked me to be the youth pastor. I said, you've got to be out of your mind. You don't know, youth what does a youth pastor do? And I, became, I was a youth pastor for 15 years. And you know what? Guys, God just wants us to say, I'm, I'm here. Lord, I don't want to satisfy on the two and a half tribe side of your highest. I don't want to be where I'm looking in and I can see where you're moving. I want to be where you're moving. I want to be in the middle of it. And sadly, we see that these guys are willing to return to their old way, to go back to their worldly pursuits, to be outside of God's highest, outside of the Jordan. Now, it might look again like, well, they're really close and does it really matter? Guess what? In the place of carnality is the place where there is, one, the least amount of fruit, and two, guess who gets dragged off by the enemy first? I'll give you one guess. The Assyrians come and the two and a half tribes on that side get drug away first. Why? They're out of fellowship. They're not walking in the center of God's will. They're the most wide open to the attack of the enemy. Verse 5. 
But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, his servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Here's what he says. Joshua says, okay, you guys want to go back to your land? You can go, but let me exhort you. And here's what I want to say to you. Let's break this verse down. First, take careful heed which means listen to the word of God. Listen. Listen to God's word. Implant it in your heart. Then he says, after listening and getting to know the word and getting to know the heart of God, then love the Lord your God. That's the natural outpouring of getting to know the word of God. You fall in love with the God of the word. You want to love him more? You want to know him better? Spend more time in his word. People will often say, Pastor, I want to have faith like yours. I say, you can. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... Word of God, be in God's word. You want to have deeper faith? Spend time in God's word. It's not you, you know, trying to have deeper faith. I'm just going to sit here and have deeper faith, you know, right? And really try and focus, right? Faith. No. I'm going to have someone slap me in the forehead or wave a coat over my... No, that ain't it. It's getting God's word, amen? And your faith will grow. And he says, so heed the word and then love the Lord your God and then walk in obedience. And notice that's the order it takes place. You spend time in God's word, you fall in love with him and you know what's a natural outpouring of that? Obedience. You know, when you love the Lord, you want to obey him. You don't have to. You want to. You get to. Amen? It's not the kids marching up the stairs and go clean his room because mom said, right? Not that kind. Of, that's not obedience. Amen? That's not honoring God. And sometimes they're worried that way. Okay, I'll go to church on Sunday because I have to. Man, better go. Blew it this week. Got to get some brownie points on my side. I better go to church. And we get that way. And God doesn't want that. And God doesn't want you to give that way either. I better give part of my money. God, you know, he'll know. Give him some money. You know what I mean? I'll write him a check real quick. And we do that. And we, well, how much do I have to give? How much do I have? Well, 10%. How much is that? Grosser than net. Which is it? Right? What do I have to give? Don't. If you're going to get, don't. God doesn't need, does God need your money? He wants your heart. Amen? And you know what? Obedience is a get to when you know the word and you've fallen in love with the author of the word. And now you just walk in obedience to him because you just want to. No one made me spend time with my wife when we were courting. Nobody called me up and said, if you don't go, if you don't go spend some time with her on Sunday, you're going to be shot down dead. I mean, you know, that didn't happen. I went because why? I wanted to. And you know what? I love to introduce my family to people. I love doing that. Why? Because I love them. And the same should be true for the Lord. It's a get-to. we got to love introducing them to people. Amen? I, love, I want you to meet them. Have you met my best friend? I want to introduce them to you. So it's take careful heed. This is what he's telling them. Okay, you're going to go back into the world? Well, as you go, here's what I want you to do. Take heed to the word of God. Fall in love with the Lord. And then walk in obedience to him. Because you're going to need it where you're going. You're going to be outside of God's will. You're going to be out in the world. You're going to need to walk with Him and do it with all of your heart and all of your soul, which means all of your affections, all of your passions, all of your will. How much are we supposed to give of ourselves to the Lord? All of it. Everything. 
It's all yours, Lord. My life is in your hands. Everything I have belongs to you. Verse 6. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. And notice that Joshua blessed them. Even though they went back into the outside of God's highest, they were settling for less outside of God's will. Joshua blessed them. This should be an example for us. Instead of ridiculing those who aren't as spiritually mature as we think they ought to be, we ought to exhort them and encourage them in love. Amen? He didn't say, okay, going back to the world, you dirty dogs, I hope you die. I mean, he didn't say that. And sometimes we do that to people. Okay, well, fine, go back into the world. See how that works for you. Okay, yeah, go to another church. Let's see what happens over there, right? And we can get like that. And we, You know what? We need to bless them. We need to put our arm around them and say, you know what, bro, that's going to be tough. Let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. And you know, if you need anything, I'm right here. I love you. You know what? Joshua left the door open for them to come back. We're going to see that in a few verses. He prayed God's blessing upon them because he knew that they would need it where they were going. And he knew it's what God desired for them. They would never have it without his blessing. Verse 7 through 9. Now, to half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan. But to the other half, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan. You'll notice Manasseh, half is on in the land of promise, half is outside of it. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, half the tribe of Manasseh, returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go into the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. You know what, not only did he send them back, he sent them with some stuff. Because for seven years they had been faithful. For seven years their lives had been fruitful. For seven years they had walked in the center of God's will. And this shows that God can take even the most carnal Christian and use them when they're obedient to be fruitful. Any one of us can be fruitful. God desires to, be, to use us for His glory. And He told them their obedience to, to God had, had been a blessing and there, was, there were rewards that were coming. You know, when we obey God, we're going to be blessed, you guys. And I'm not talking about stuff. You know, the interesting part is, my wife and I have been married 21 years. We have less stuff now than we've ever had. And I'm more blessed today than I've ever been. It's not about how many square feet you got, amen? amen. It's about... Where are you at with the Lord and what's He doing? How's, how's eternity being impacted? So they went away with both the spiritual blessing and the physical spoils, yet they still were settling for less than God's highest because, again, God will never force His highest on anybody. So verses 1 through 9, we saw the eastern tribes returning to their land outside of Canaan. It's a picture of living in carnality, the borderline believers. Now we're going to see that they're going to do something that is going to bring a potential division with the very people that just blessed them. They just spent seven years in their camp. They had just gone out and fought the battle. Now they're going back to their land, and they're going to do something that is going to bring potential division with them, with the, those walking in the center of God's will. Look at verse 10. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and Gad, children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great and impressive 
altar. Did God tell them to do this? The answer is absolutely not. Now, we're going to see that those mature believers ought to respond with grace towards these guys doing this. We're also going to see that there was carnality in them doing this to begin with. We're going to see that whichever side you're on, if you're on the carnal side, we need to learn from our mistakes. And if we're on the spiritual side, we need to reach out to them in grace. There's something to be learned on both sides. You know, when I do marriage counseling, and no, there, I've yet to have marriage counseling where one person was 100% right and the other one was 100% wrong. Hasn't happened yet. And it can look like the most gnarly circumstances. But the truth is that we're all sinners. And we all blow it, don't we? And we all need to learn to both exhibit grace and have hearts of repentance in the areas where we've fallen short. We need to be able to exhibit both of those things. We're going to see those here. Now, it's interesting. They built an altar. Now, how many altars were there supposed to be in the land of promise? One. How many crosses are there? One. How many places of sacrifice? How many saviors? How many messiahs? How many lords? How many tabernacles were there? How many arcs of the covenant were there? One. But yet they built an altar. And we're going to see the reasoning behind it, which from the world's perspective sounds logical. But it's not godly. And we're going to see that there's going to be mistakes all around in the way that they respond to it. Now it says it's great and impressive. This speaks about the size of it. But the significance is not because of the size, but because of the meaning of the altar. This place of sacrifice used both by pagans and by Christians or children of Israel at this time alike. If it were true that they had built an altar to make sacrifice somewhere other than God's appointed place, it was forbidden by God and it was a blasphemous act. Remember Nadab and Abihu? Remember these guys? The sons of Aaron. Two oldest sons. They went into the Holy of Holies with strange fire on the wrong day with the wrong sacrifice when they were not the ones to enter in. And what did God do to them? Struck them down dead. Because they were destroying the type or the picture of Christ. And if you have another altar somewhere else that's away from the tabernacle and all that points to Jesus Christ, what you're basically saying is there's another path to heaven besides Jesus. There's another way. There's another path. God's not going to stand for that. And so they do this, but they have a different motive in mind, or at least they say they do. And the word's going to get back to the nine and a half tribes walking you know, in the, quote, center of God's will, having crossed over the Jordan, the picture of the Spirit-filled life. So God's wrath would soon follow if they were doing this with the wrong motives. And the enemy wants there to be division among believers. In the Spirit-filled life, to have those who would look down on and be suspicious of and break fellowship with or see someone else as a lesser brother. And this altar could be a potential for that. Because the other nine and a half tribes could say, did you hear? We're going to see it in a verse. Did you hear what they did? They did what? They're worshiping who? What are they doing over there? And then they begin to look down. And they begin to cast aspersions on them and get angry. The eastern tribes in building it and the western tribes and how they respond to it. Watch what happens. We're going to see the four things to learn from the western tribes' response to the altar being built as potential pitfalls to, vi to division within the body. Look at verse 11. Now, the children of Israel heard 
someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of Jordan on the children of Israel's side. Now, they heard someone say. Did they see it? What's the answer? No. Do they have written proof about it? Does it say they heard 500 people say? They heard someone say. Here's one of the greatest pitfalls or sources of division within the body of Christ. Gossip. Rumors. You listen to a rumor, even if you don't repeat it, you're taking part in it. We need to be bold enough in the Lord to turn to somebody and say, you know what, that's gossip, you need to knock it off. It brings division in the body of Christ. And it's so sad because it's something that is so prevalent today. The Bible says, let everything be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. And this doesn't even say this person witnessed it. They heard someone say. And we, you know, we love it. We heard someone say and we want to run and tell somebody else. Fearing they either align themselves with the false pagan gods of the region or would attempt to worship other gods, they're going to respond to these rumors, this gossip. And, and it's going to take on a life of its own. You know what? Don't listen to or pass on gossip. Because it is a great source of division. And it does happen all the time. You know what? I'm going to just be real open with you guys. People have left our church mad at me because they heard I said something that I never said in my life. And it can't even be fixed. God can fix it. But I call people up and people say, you said, I go, to, to this person you said this and it got back to me that you said, I'm like, that never happened. But you know what? In their mind, it's as good as if it did. And you know what happens? Some of those people are going to church nowhere. Nowhere. Why? Because somebody decided to have roast Pastor Dave on a Sunday afternoon after church and said something about me, and then that person believed it, and then they took it to heart, and oh yeah, and then they told somebody, and then it got back to them, and then before you know it, they're leaving. And again, if they leave because of something I've done, and it, God forgive me. But here's the point. Look what happens in the body of Christ when we sow discord and we spread rumors. May it never be so. If you heard that I've said something that offends you, please come talk to me and find out if it's true before you tell 47 other people. <laughs> Amen? And if it's true, I'll tell you. Yeah, because I, 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 you know what? I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm one beggar leading another beggar to the bread just like the rest of you. I struggle with sin just as much as you do. We all do. Amen? And so the point is that this is what happens in the body of Christ sometimes. And we need to be careful not to, again, the damage so often is beyond repair. So the potential source of division, number one, is responding to hearsay or gossip or rumors. Now, how did they respond? They said, well, let's go find out if this is true. No, look at verse 12. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Sokol to go to war against them. They heard someone say, and now they want to go to war. Half of the tribe of Manasseh is going to go to war against the other half. These guys are all related to each other. Their family, they heard someone say, and now a war is breaking out. Boy, our tongue can do great damage, can it? 
small instrument can light a mighty fire. And so we see here that they respond not in grace, not, well, really, I heard that true. You know what? We should go down and talk to them. Now, they are going to go down and talk to them, but not till they get ready for war first. They don't go find out and then come back. They say, let's mount them up. Let's get everything together. Let's march in there. And then let's send someone ahead of us just to make sure. <laughs> and that's what we do. We get ready for war. Got our stuff out. Okay, really? All right. And, you know, you're just ready to go to battle. Instead of coming graciously to find out if it's even true. They were ready to go to war before finding out the facts. So the second way. Second potential source of division is getting worked up before we check it out. Getting stirred up before we confirm if it's even true or not. You know, the sad thing is, sometimes we get so stirred up, we, we, we move in such haste that we put ourselves in such a corner that we can't even back up if we want. You know what I mean? Have you ever done that? You're so adamant and you're so angry and you're so already there and you find out it's not true that you've already come this far i got to finish now. Well, yeah, maybe that's not true, but what about the time that, right? Because I'm already here. And so the army's been mounted up. They're already there. And they're going to find out if it's true or not. Don't let your emotions run wild. I used to say this a lot. Cool your jets already. You know what I mean? Slow down. Proverbs 18 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, is a fool and it is a shame to him. You ever done that? Someone's talking, they're not even done, you're already formulating your answer? Right? You don't even hear the second half of what they said because you already got an answer. I'm going to throw this out there. Oh, really? Okay. Here it comes. I haven't even finished talking yet. That's a fool and it's a shame. These are sources of potential division. Responding to gossip and rumors and getting all worked up before we find out the truth. Responding in haste. What may seem to us to be righteous anger. But it's unrighteous if you don't have all the facts. Look at verses 13 through 16. Then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest of the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the children of the tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. And with them ten rulers. One ruler each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel. Each one was the head of the house of the father among the divisions of Israel. Then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Does that sound like grace? Does that sound like, dude, we heard about an altar. Now, is there really an altar? And what's that about? It's like, so what have you done to turn against God and start following pagan idolatry? You know, that's the guy standing on the box with the blowhorn, right? You're all going to fry in hell. Real effective. You ever seen anybody repenting around one of those guys? You ever see revival there? Oh, you're right. Let me bow down before you and worship God. You know, if, if, you're, if you're a follower of God, I want nothing to do with you. Amen? You're all going to fry. Well, at least you won't be there. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's what happens. You know what? Here's what happens. 
Thus says the whole congregation, what treachery you've committed against the Lord God of Israel. That you might rebel this day against the Lord. You know the third thing we can do is we can use the Lord's name loosely. God said, the Lord told me. I'm so sick, you know, I'm so sick of having people tell me that. The Lord told me this for you. And they start going on this rant for five minutes. Really? That's amazing because that's so contrary to scripture that God would say that. God did not say that. I've told people, I've stopped people in the middle of sentence. God did not say that. The Lord told me. And you know what they'll do? They'll use that as a trump card for anything they want to do. But the Lord told me. You heard that before? But the Lord told me. The Lord revealed to me. About your life. This is what you need to do. It's amazing. They accused them of sinning against God. They made this accusation and they spoke with this authority from the Lord when they had not heard from the Lord. They spoke on the Lord's behalf not knowing all the facts. You know, that chases people out of the church all the time. Somebody will come up and say, oh, I understand that this is your lifestyle. You know, you need to, uh, uh, and go all over them. You know what we ought to do when someone new walks into church? Put our arm around them and say, how can I pray for you? Man, the Lord loves you. We've been praying for you. We're so glad you're here. God bless you. I see there's two of you together. You guys living together? You're not married? Get out! That's not the body of Christ, amen? You're not, oh man, you're a fornicator. Kick them. Pick up rocks. No. No, you know what? Let the word of God bring conviction in those areas of life where outside of God's will. Not somebody beating somebody over the head with a mallet. This is a hospital, not a police station. This is where you come to get healed and loved on and salve put on, not to have you get pounded on. You know, I had a really rough week. We'll get in here. We'll make it a little rougher for you. <laughs> it's not God's heart. They come confronting without knowing the facts. You know what? What they did do was wrong. We're going to find that out in a few verses here. What they did do was wrong. But even when they did what they're doing is wrong, we still need to show them the love of God. It's kindness that leads people to repentance. Amen? Not anger, not bitterness. Guys, how do we know if the Lord's really speaking? Not just your opinion. It's always confirmed in God's word. And it's always 100% accurate. God's never 95% accurate. Amen? You know what happens when you prophesied and you were wrong one time? They stone you to death. You know why? Because you're a false prophet. They love to advertise 65% accuracy. You'd be dead. <laughs> if you're not 100% right. Don't say the Lord told me. Too many people loosely using the Lord's name. You know, and as a pastor, I'll be counseling somebody. They'll say, well, 12 years ago, this pastor told me. And then the Lord said, and it's so contrary to Scripture. I'm like, no, the Lord didn't. But they're standing by that 12 years later to the destruction of their own family and their marriage and everything around them. It's so heartbreaking. God's word is the authority, not your opinion. You get some examples of iniquity. Verse 17, is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us from which we are not cleansed till this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord? 
And it shall be if you rebel today against the Lord that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Now I understand their concern because who was the one? Remember Peorbus when the Moabites came into the camp? You guys remember this? And they slept with the Moabite women. And it was, you know, Balaam's trick to get them to draw away from the Lord. And here's the thing. What's interesting is that there was a guy who saw this guy bringing a Moabite woman into his tent who took a spear and went in and threw it through the guy. Who was it? Phineas, this guy right here. He knows all about it. He was there. I saw it happen. So there's concern in his heart. But again, it's okay to voice that concern. Hey, we don't want to bring sin upon all of Israel. Amen. Do it in love. We don't want to bring sin upon the whole church. Hey, you know what? If you are living in sin, you're going through those difficult... Hey, we love you and we'll address it with you, but we'll do it in love and we won't ridicule you. We're going to do it in love. Amen? And I say, how can we help you get away from that? How can we restore you back into the Lord? Now, in verse 19, we're going to see both grace and a false accusation. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us, by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. He says, and this is grace, I love this, you know what guys, if things are tainted on your side, come on over with us. I like that. But then he turns around and accuses them of building an altar secondary to the altar of the Lord where they were making sacrifice, which is not the case. They should not have built the altar, but they're not going to make sacrifice there. They built it for another reason. They were wrong for doing it, but they, would not, they didn't find out because they came with accusations instead of with grace. We've got to move along here. So potential sources of division within the church, fourthly, is bearing false witness. Because he accused them of doing something they had not done. And that happens a lot in the church. Do not rebel against the Lord, he said. It's a lot more fruitful and loving to come seeking to know the other person's heart. If somebody's living in sin, take them to lunch, put your arm around them and say, you know what, bro, it breaks my heart because God has something better for you. And I, I want to help you. As opposed to fornicator, not, not too effective. Doesn't work. Adulterer. How many, the Bible says if you've ever lusted in your heart, you're a fornicator. How many fornicators do we have in this room? Okay, we're all in the same boat. How about that? <laughs> Take the log out of your own eye sometimes, amen? We want to go around and make accusations. And again, I'm not, what I want to make very clear, I'm not saying it's okay just to live in sin. Or just to have a sinful life or be struggling with alcohol or drugs or whatever it is. It's not okay. God wants you to restore that. But you know what? Hospital. Lovingly reach out. Let's help you get that right with the Lord. Verse 20. Did not Achan the son of Zerah commit a trespass and a cursed thing, and the wrath fell on the congregation of Israel, and that man did not perish alone in his iniquity? Remember, Achan was really Achan because he took some of the stuff, remember? They went in and said, don't take any of the spoils. He took some of the spoils, hid him in his tent, and, how, and, a, and people died all over the place because Achan held on to some stuff. And he's saying to them, you know, we're concerned because if you sin, it's going to impact everybody. And the truth is this, that if we live in habitual sin and we refuse to repent, it will impact the whole body of Christ. It's true. And again, the way we respond is to reach out in love. So avoiding altercations, four potential sources of division within the body. Responding to gossip and rumors. Responding in haste. You know, getting worked up without checking it out. Using the Lord's name, Lucy. Speaking on God's behalf when God didn't say. 
and bearing false witness or making false accusations. Now we're going to look at the four marks of carnality. I know we're running a little late here, but we're going to do it anyway. Where are you going? All right. Four marks of carnality. Look at verse 21. Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God, He knows, and let Israel itself know, if it is in rebellion or in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord Himself require an account. Now, this sounds really good. They say, okay, you're right, we built an altar. But if we built it with the wrong motivation, let God be the judge because God knows my heart. Now, that's great. But, that's abused also. I have people tell me all the time, but God knows my heart. Yeah, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, but God knows my heart. Yeah, yeah, I, I, got, I got stuff coming out of my mouth. I'm cursing God's name all the time. It's just a struggle I have. But, you know, God knows my heart. And we'll try to okay our sin by saying, but God knows my heart. You know what? You don't know your heart. Because the Bible says that our heart is perverse and wicked above all things. So if you use your heart as the guideline, you're in trouble. <laughs> Amen? God does know your heart. Sinful, wicked, and perverse above all things. But God knows my heart. I mean, it's just my heart, though. But I just feel. Guys, we cannot be moved by our feelings. We must be led by the Word of God. People say all the time, don't judge me, bro. You don't know my heart. And you know, we are to judge not lest we be judged. But that verse is also abused because we can judge things by the Word of God. Now, in balance, again, we're not going around... Point out everybody's sin. Sin inspector, my job, right? That's not what we're supposed to do. But, but, it's not judge not lest she be judged to go to somebody lovingly and put your arm around them and say, bro, you know, I heard you, you're doing this and here's what the Bible says and you're, it's contrary to the word of God. Judge not lest she be judged, man. Who are you judging me? That's out of context. Because it's the Bible that is judging your life. It's the word of God that's the plumb line, amen? It is the authority, and we judge everything based on that. So, marks of carnality. Number one, God knows my heart. Having an explanation for carnal behavior. Explaining it away by saying, God knows my heart. Instead of saying, what does the word of God say? It's not what your heart tells you, it's what the word of God says, amen? Nothing else. Too many today try to explain it away by saying, God knows my heart. And we ought to say, but God's word says. Verse 24 and 25. But in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason, saying in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, what have you to do with the children, with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, your children, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad. You have no part in the Lord, so your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Ooh. They're saying, we built this altar because we're concerned that down the road sometime, people will forget that we were a part of your tribe because we live over here, and we, we're afraid of that, so we want to build an altar to, that the people down the road will remember that we're a part of you guys. 
They want to have their cake and eat it too. We want to live in the world and live like the world, but we don't want you to forget later that we were a part of you. If you want to be a part of them, move over there. Amen? But no, we got to camp out here and build a big altar so people remember we used to be a part of you and we're over here now, but we want to be a part of you. We want to live in the world and be Christians at the same time. One foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. You know, doing the spiritual splits is going to hurt. And so the truth is that God's not designed us to do this. And it was out of fear. Now look what they do next, though. Look at this verse. They lie. Look what they say. For the Lord made the Jordan a border between you and us. Is that true? They blame it on God. This is another thing that is a sign of carnality. We blame things on God. I can't believe God's letting this happen in my life. This just isn't right. If God really loved me, God's forgotten about me. God, if you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? If someone's blowing it, you or God, guess who it is? It's not God, it's you. And the point here is that they're blaming God. God did it, you know, I, oh, you know, I, 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 he, he put that river right there. You know, we're on this side by ourselves. You guys were all over there in the spirit-filled life and we're over here. You chose to live over there. You wanted a place that was green with grass and you could have your cattle and all that. And now you're, oh, wait, wait, God did it. No, God didn't do it. You did it. We need to quit blaming God. It's not God's fault. It's ours. Let's move on. Then he says, you have no part in the Lord so descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Now he doesn't even, now they don't just blame God. They blame the church. And the children in the church. My kids are a mess because they've been hanging out with your kids. Your descendants are going to have nothing to do with us. And that's why we had to build this thing. We've got to blame you. It's your fault. You know, that one pastor said that thing to me that one time. And that's it. That's why I don't go anymore. You know, those hypocrites. I'm not going down there with them hypocrites. Church is filled with hypocrites. I'm not going anymore. I'd rather spend Sunday with a few hypocrites than eternity in hell with all of them. <laughs> Amen? Here's the truth. People want to blame everything on somebody else and give a reason why. I'm not plugged in. I'm not in church. I'm not, I'm not doing this. When you're confronted with sin, you can do one of three things. Make excuses, accuse others, or repent. Make excuses, acu accuse others. Adam and Eve did it. It was the serpent. It was the woman. It was nobody's fault, evidently, right? The serpent did it. Well, the woman, it was the woman you gave me, Lord. It's my wife. She's the reason. I'd be on fire for you, Lord, if I didn't have her. It's all her fault. It's not the pastor's fault. It's not the church's fault. It's not the hypocritical Christian's fault. It's not your neighbor's fault. If you're not where you need to be with the Lord, it's your fault. Amen? He desires to walk in intimacy with you. Lastly, look at verse 26 to 29. Therefore, he said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that we may be a witness between you and us and our generation after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said... 
that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices besides the Lord, the altar, the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. Now, here's what they're saying. We want to worship God our own way. We know there's only supposed to be one altar, but we want this altar here, and we got good reasons why we want this altar We know God has established only one altar. He's told us this is the only place we're supposed to worship. But this works for us better. And we just want to make sure we're not left out in the future. And, you know, I just want to worship God in my own way. You know, I feel really close to God on my surfboard. So I'm going to be there every Sunday morning. And I'm just communing with God as I'm hanging tent. I just feel so close to the Lord when I'm on the golf course. I'm going, holy, holy, holding one, you know what? <laughs> and I'm worshiping. And you can't tell me where I can worship or how I should worship or what I should. You know what? God's word does tell you. Forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. We worship God's way. God makes the rules of how we worship him. Amen? And it's not worship unless it's God's way of worshiping him. God wanted his people to gather around one altar, one tabernacle. The Bible says, Behold how pleasant and good it is for the brethren to dwell together. You have gifts, and if you're not here, the church misses them. If you're not here, you can't use them. And I can't use mine to minister to you, and you can't use yours to minister to me, and there's a big hole here. We're all to be together. Get involved. Don't try to having a remote connection with the Bible, the body of Christ. Don't watch church on TV and think that's cool. That's not church. You know, it's okay to listen to messages on the radio. We're on the radio. But the people listen to us on the radio, that's not their church. You need to be in fellowship, amen? Using your gifts somewhere. Not worshiping God your way, worshiping God His way. Now, side note. I am all for us when we worship to have freedom in our worship. I want that. But we should never take the focus off God. Amen? And you can always tell the maturity of somebody. Somebody will get up and be, you know, worshiping and dancing around and maybe speaking in tongues and maybe rolling in the floor or something. And you go over and say, hey, we want, well, I have freedom to worship any way I want to. Who are you? Whoa, whoa. Who are we worshiping? Him. Amen? And when we start taking people's eyes off of him, we're going to have you stop. Now, I want you to, I raise my hands when I worship. The Bible says to lift up holy hands. Amen? By the way, it's not a sin to clap either. Seems like sometimes you guys think it is, like three people. Okay, it's okay to clap. It's all right. But it's never okay to take the focus off of God. Amen? Clap. Raise your hands. Worship. Sing till we bring the roof down. It's all good, but let's not take the focus off him. Does that make sense? I worship God's way, not my way. He sets the way. He's the one that, he's, he, he wins all ties, amen? It's all God. You know, last four verses now. When Phineas, the, man, we went way over, but God bless you guys. Hard chairs and everything. 
Now when Phinehas the priest and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with them, heard the words that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Then Phinehas the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of out, out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas the son of Eleazar, for the priests and the rulers, returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, from the land of Gilead, the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God, and they spoke no more, going against them in battle, praise God, to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it was a witness between us and the Lord. Guys, our unity should be a witness to the world around us. Even though they built the altar with the wrong reasoning behind it, they showed them grace. If you're on the side of being spiritually mature, show those less spiritually mature grace. If you're struggling in carnality, may you recognize these steps, these things that are carnal, and may God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, transform your life to where you're not happy being carnal anymore. Let's be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, we'll spew you out of His mouth. If we don't want to be cold, so let's be hot. Amen? Let's be hot for Jesus Christ. So, in closing, let eight things, in case you missed them. Four potential sources of division. Going on hearsay or listening to rumors. Getting worked up or acting in haste. Using the Lord's name, Lucy. God said, bearing false witness. Four marks of carnality. God knows my heart. Using your feelings over God's word. Blaming the Lord for your problems. Blaming the church and others for your problems. And then attempting to worship God in your own way. Those are marks of carnality. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for just the incredible examples we learned from even books like Joshua. Thousands of years ago it took place and it applies to every life in this room tonight. Father, I pray you'd help us, Lord, to exhibit love and grace to those around us. Not to act in haste. Not to respond too quickly. Not to respond to rumors and gossip, but Lord, to go to the person in love and to hear their heart. Father, I pray as we struggle with carnality, help us, Lord, to not feed our flesh, to not be pride and and focused on ourselves. Help us, Lord, not to judge our heart over your word. Help us, Lord, not to blame you or anybody else for our problems. Help us, Lord, not to create our own path, or our own way of worship. But Lord, may your word be the central focus in our lives, and may we seek you above all else. We love you, we praise you, you're a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said...